outlaw brothers Seth and Richard Gecko are on the run from the law after robbing a bank. To escape into Mexico, they take a former minister's family hostage and drive them across the border in their RV. While waiting at a middle-of-nowhere titty bar for their rendezvous, the Gecko brothers and their hostages are attacked by a vicious group of vampires. With the definitions of good and evil now redefined, the Geckos and their hostages join forces to fight their way out of the titty twister, a vampire hangout that's open from dusk till dawn. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, Ramblers. It's time for the Filmgasm podcast, and we've got a fun one for you today. Going back into the world of Quentin Tarantino with an extra dose of Robert Rodriguez for good measure. And on top of that, we are joined by Filmgasm contributor Josh Allred, who's going to talk Mexican vampires with us. Thank you for being here today. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me, and I can't wait to go back to the Giddy Twister. (laughs) Hell yeah, man. Uh, Before we get into that, I've got one update on the Rewind, and it's appropriate for today's episode because it updates our fifth episode on Quentin Tarantino and our first bonus episode on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. (laughs) This is just goofy, but I had to mention it. There's a new fan theory making the rounds that suggests Calvin Candy from Django Unchained is a character played by Rick Dalton, Leo DiCaprio's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Django Unchained is a movie that was made in Tarantino's universe alongside presumably Kill Bill. (laughs) What do you guys think of that? I believe it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just, (laughs) why not? I mean, the guy, you know, Caleb Decatu was pretty uh, pretty Calvin Candy-esque. I can see him getting cast in that role because of that performance. It's so, so layered and weird. Yeah, yeah, and those are always just fun to dive into, whether they're true or not, you know, they're fun. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Josh, what do you think about that uh, that crazy fan theory? Uh, I mean, whatever, you know, Austin said, it's nice to think about. I think with what Tarantino does with building his world and whatnot, it's not a stretch to think <laughs> that there is some iteration of that working its way through whatever's going on. I mean, the guy created his own brand of cigarettes. So it's not a stretch by any means. Exactly. True. True. In addition, I would add another layer of this. I'd say it's not too out of left field to think that after World War II, Lieutenant Aldo Rain was discharged from the military, decided to fulfill his dream of becoming a stuntman and used his stage name of Cliff Booth. <laughs> Why not? There you go. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I mean, around that time, presumably, you know, if Aldo's in his like, you know, late twenties, early thirties and bastards, flash forward twenty something years, he'd be about in his fifties in once upon a time in Hollywood, which is roughly about the age Cliff Booth is supposed to be anyway. I don't know. I love that we have the you know, we can we can talk about all this because he's done so many little things in every single one of his films, including the one we're gonna talk about today that just propel these ideas forward and we'll never stop talking about them. (laughs) Yeah. It's insane, man. And you know, um, we just talked about uh, our first episode on Oscar Sunday was the Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Like you said, in this movie right here, we have uh, 
real nice clean shot of the big kahuna burger bag and stuff like that so it's just it's a lot of fun to be in this world yes indeed and let's go into it so boys how did you guys first discover from dust till dawn austin let's start with you uh in in high school uh, i think it was my freshman year and that, that would have been right you know after i had watched everything that tarantino had done right and you you just kind of read about this stuff um and and I immediately immediately liked it, and I've I've kind of always liked it. I don't I don't necessarily love it. I don't rewatch it all the time, but I do think it's a really entertaining, um, you know, hour and forty five minutes of just bonker stuff. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I have a blast with it. What about you, Josh? So, again, I will tell my age. I saw it the first time on pay per view. I had begged my mom because I was flipping through your cable, and I saw it, and I was like what it oh. mom mom i i have to watch this now she looked at it she took a second she was like "Ooh, george clooney he's hot okay and she sat with me and watched it and once they got to the to the titty twister she tried to cover my eyes and i was like slapping her hand get away get away i'm i'm fine i've seen boobs before so yeah, that was one of the first times I saw it. Uh, I will, at the appropriate time, pitch an amusing anecdote um, and give you a sneak, well, not a sneak, but more like a uh, an image of me as a middle schooler and what kind of kid I was. In Spoiler alert, it's far from the person right now. Right on. Can't wait for that. <laughs> um, from Dust Till Dawn was one of the earliest uh, Tarantino films I saw. Uh, my uncle's the one who introduced me to all of this stuff. And he doesn't just, he doesn't separate it from the written and directed and just the written by. To him, it's all one big marathon. So I saw stuff kind of out of order and just by the way he decided to introduce them to me. So From Dust Till Dawn was one of the early ones. And I was in like immediately. And then once, like Josh said, once we got to the titty twister, things got awkward i was like 12 13 years old <laughs> and just, i was sitting there like oh boy oh, okay not realizing oh this is the rest of the movie okay <laughs> and uh yeah rewatching it uh yesterday with my grandpa was uh was really fun because it was more of a just you know it's fucking awesome like not you know it's not embarrassing anymore now it's just like let's kill some vampires <laughs> yeah yeah that's for sure something you have to immediately point out is that this film is not for everybody <laughs> oh no 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 uh much like most filmgasm um movies we talk about yeah this this one is wild and it gets it gets so intense but i, I find it funny that like it takes getting to the titty twister it's like what what about when um quentin tarantino supposedly you know rapes this character what about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> crazy stuff man ridiculous it's so it's so strange how this movie is really two movies like until we get to the titty twister it's a pretty serious crime drama and then we get there and it's almost like the gecko brothers have walked into a different movie it's yeah it's yeah. cool like i i've never seen anything like this before in that vein of like just and now this is gonna happen like fuck all that this is the movie now i love that the balls to yeah. pull that off I think I think one of the brilliant things about this movie is that 
it was I think it's better than what Tarantino and uh, Robert Rodriguez did separately when they put out their grindhouse movies because this yeah. is a grindhouse movie to AT. I mean, even with some of the actors that were used in it, the style of it, yeah. you know, just how it, it looks and feels dirty. Um, it, it plays on a lot of the conventions of, you know, a, a, a crime drama, like you were saying, and then it just goes full on balls to the wall horror. And it's, it's so well balanced. It's, it's the, it's the, like this really kinetic, frantic energy that Robert Rodriguez brings with his camera work and how yeah. he edits everything. And then the dialogue and the character driven aspects that Tarantino is known for. It's like this perfect marriage of the two. And I will stand by this, that it is way better than their grindhouse double feature. Way yeah, better. I agree for sure. This is, this is what that should have been. This this definitely has that style. It's it's like you know with Grindhouse they were trying to replicate that, like you said, perfect marriage that they had with From Dust Till Dawn, and I think at that point they were both too accomplished to kind of go back. To yes, that. yes, yeah. I think Death Proof and Planet Terror are cool on their own. Together, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like two amateurs making these movies. You know. Well, I think I think even with them being as young as they were at that time, they weren't trying to do anything more than, you know, go for what they had in front of them. I think with with Grindhouse, Robert Rodriguez has always been a very stylish director from the very beginning. If you watch um, El Mariachi, like his very first movie, um, you see that. And it's, and it's just a guy with a camera doing everything that he can. But then as he gets bigger and bigger and bigger, it, I, th I think he kind of like, he almost kind of like parodies himself in a way with yeah. those movies. And I think Tarantino does that with Death Proof as well. I think it's just, they just get so caught up in it that instead of just having fun with it, they try to be like, okay, well, I'm going to replicate this again. It just, I think it, they would have had fun with those movies, like just actual fun instead of taking it too seriously. I think they would have been just as good. It's Rodriguez trying to make a Rodriguez movie instead of just trying to make a movie. And it's Tarantino trying to make a Tarantino movie without trying to just make a movie. They're both like slaves to that style that they don't allow themselves any room to breathe. Kick ass. Um, yeah, I think this movie's awesome. So, From Dust Till Dawn was written by Oscar-winning filmmaker Quentin Tarantino, who we talked about at great length in our first Weird Shit Wednesday, Episode 5. He's won two Oscars for screenplay for Pulp Fiction and Django Unchained. He's also been nominated for screenplay for Inglorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he was nominated for directing for Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. From Dust Till Dawn was Tarantino's first writing assignment. He was hired by Robert Kurtzman, who conceived the initial idea, but didn't want to be bothered with the screenplay duty, so he gave that to Tarantino. And Tarantino made it his own. So cool. This was his first writing assignment. And the film was directed by San Antonio indie superstar Robert Rodriguez. The brains behind such films as El Mariachi, Desperado, Spy Kids, Sin City, Planet Terror, Machete, and Alita Battle Angel. 
He's a rock star with a signature style, and he brought his Texas flair to Tarantino's storytelling in such a badass way. And I actually got to see him speak at a, uh, a conference thing at Texas State a few years ago. I managed to get into there, and it was really neat. He came out and just talked about his roots and screenwriting in general and how, you know, he came from nothing to do to be, you know, have his dreams and we could do it too. It was very much like a, you know, shoot for the stars kind of thing, but it was cool to see him in person talk about his style and his craft. Yeah. Hell yeah, um, man. Have, have either of you read rebel without a crew? No, I have not. No, sir. Dude, okay. If you, okay. Read that. And if you aren't inspired to sell your body to make your dreams come true, then you are dead inside. <laughs> um, it is one of the most fascinating stories I've ever read. Um, he talks about signing himself up for science experiments just so he can make money to immediately funnel into making El Mariachi. And like all of the stuff he went through to do this, the months and months and months of doing this, like just crazy shit. And all he wanted to do was make that movie. That's all he wanted to do. And he, he just taught himself how to do that much in the way that Tarantino taught himself, you know, filmmaking, screenwriting, dialogue, all of that, just by watching movies. I think they share a lot of that in common in that they were like students of film having and having never gone to film school. But I cannot recommend that book enough. Um, I actually read it probably like five or six years ago and it reinvigorated me. Uh, I gave it to Caleb because I was, you know, thinning out my bookshelves and I was like, you need to read this fucking book. Number one, he's a Texan. So if you don't read this book, you are selling yourself short. And I mean, he's a prime example of just going for it. So oh, yeah. Do yourself a favor, get that fucking book. Absolutely. I'll check that out. I Rodriguez is the fucking Cinderella story of Texas filmmaking. And yeah, he's an inspiration to any, you know, film buff who wants to make awesome shit like this. <laughs> the film stars Oscar winner George Clooney as hard-ass bank robber Seth Gecko. This was Clooney's first major film role after he became known for his role on ER. He broke into film with this. He won his first Oscar for his performance in 2005's Syriana and his second for producing Argo, which won Best Picture. He's been nominated three additional times for his performances in 2007's Michael Clayton, 2009's Up in the Air, and 2011's The Descendants. He was also nominated for directing 2005's Good Night and Good Luck, and for writing Good Night and Good Luck and 2011's The Ides of March. He's Hollywood royalty, a global megastar, and it all started right here with Seth Gecko. And it's one of my favorite Clooney roles, hands down. Yeah, same. I think I think it's like, yeah, the upper echelon of his work. He's completely off his rocker and he somehow pulls off that giant ass tribal tat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really does. It's uh yeah, Clooney's the man. I've always loved Clooney. And um my favorite of his is probably Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I just Ulysses Everett McGill is so dear to my heart. <laughs> yeah, I like I like him in Up in the Air a lot. And then Vera Farmiga are really good in that one. Yeah. The Up in the Air was so good. I watched that recently. That was such a heartbreaking movie, but it was so good. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, where's some of your favorite uh do you like Clooney? 
yeah, I I kind of was uh was exposed to him like rather weirdly because I don't know if you guys know this little bit of Clooney trivia, but in one of his very like early on screen roles was in a music video and he was dressed up as a woman. <laughs> very nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very creepy. But um yeah, this was the first time I actually saw him because I'd seen him, you know, not actually watching ER, but you see all the commercials and fucking promos for the show at the time. It was everywhere. And I was like, oh, who's this guy? And then bam, he's in this movie. And I was like, this guy's fucking great. Um <laughs> it's it's really amazing, like how much he brings like uh, a very human element to Seth Gecko because I was watching it just uh, just recently with um, my wife Jamie and I was like you know there's there's a really a tragedy about him it's like I don't feel so bad when Richie gets it but I feel because but I feel bad for Seth I'm like oh that guy just lost his brother <laughs> and it's just he 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 makes him such a likable guy yeah and it's, that's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do because he's a cold-blooded motherfucker. But by the end of it, you're rooting him on because he's going up against even more ruthless motherfuckers. Yes, for sure. Clooney's got that weird, just humanizing charisma that makes him likable in fucking everything. Even when he's playing a fucking psychopath like Seth Gecko. But we still love him. It's, it's so cool. I think if it was anybody else, he wouldn't have that. He would be, you know, you, the piece of shit you're waiting to get killed in the city switzer. But this guy, Clooney brought it. Yeah, he's probably my favorite part about this movie. Uh, Same. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino himself plays Richard Gecko, the psychotic rapist brother of Clooney's Seth. Tarantino typically has a minor role in most of his films, but never to this extent as a supporting character like this. And I thought he did a surprisingly good job. I think because his character doesn't have that many lines and when he does, he speaks kind of softly and quiet, like a, like a maniac. I, it worked. I don't know why it worked, but it worked. <laughs> what do you guys think? <laughs> um, oh, no, I yeah. was, I was waiting for Austin to say something. Yeah. Sorry. I was, about to, I was, I was just about to say, go ahead until I saw Connor smile. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I really liked, I mean, and you, you think about Tarantino and his personality and you're kind of like, of course he would want to be fucking Richie Gecko. Like he is the embodiment <laughs> of Tarantino's dialogue throughout the whole thing. It's like you just, he is that physical manifestation of the, of the lines and everything. He's just a fucking dirtbag. I hate his character so much such a despicable human being and it but it's written and it's written so well that it just it sets you up so good to just have the rug pulled out from under you when it happens and it's it's genius it's genius yeah yeah i agree i think i I think this is definitely tarantino's best work as an actor um and anything and his his ability to like what you're saying, Josh, is to, to kind of manifest the the very like narrative we have of Tarantino that the really playing like hammering a home that he's definitely obsessed with feet that sort of thing <laughs> playing with playing with all of that 
um, it, it really is fascinating. And that he seeing him really violent on the screen, there's just something about that, how that kind of sets up the rest of his career and uh, how if he's able to do it and he puts it on screen, there's just this weird, like you were saying too, Connor, it's just weird how you're like, it, it, this works somehow. <laughs> it's, it's really amazing. I'm convinced that he wrote this entire movie just so he could suck tequila off Salma Hayek's foot. Yeah. I mean, that's something, movie, that's something like that. Like lifelong fantasy come to come to fruition. <laughs> I mean, you like if knowing now what we know about him and you start to see this little breadcrumb trail of fucking foot worship. And again, was watching it with my wife, Jamie, and I'm just sitting there going like, yeah, he wrote this. And you just feel so uncomfortable when you're watching yeah. him all Juliet Lewis, which like toes. There they are. Oh, yeah, there's the other one. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then when he's doing that, look, let's be honest here, boys. Salma Hayek puts her foot in your mouth and she dribbles tequila down it. You're going to drink. Don't even. Don't even hide. <laughs> Who's hiding? Absolutely. <laughs> Salma. That's a universal. That's a universal thing, right? I got that. We're going to talk a lot about that scene because, I mean, Jesus. Well, it's the, it, it's, it's it. It's the, like, ultimate, here, here's this, like, huge advertisement, and then, bam, it's a horror movie. <laughs> if I had this on tape, it would be very worn. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> got some crusty socks hiding there, huh, Connor? <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Cheech Marine. Um. <laughs> um, Oscar nominee Harvey Keitel plays Jacob Fuller, former minister, <laughs> true believer, thanks to a run-in with the undead. Keitel was nominated for his performance in 1991's Bugsy, and he's been one of Tarantino's go-to guys since the beginning, appearing in Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and a vocal cameo in Inglorious Bastards. He's also appeared in such films as Taxi Driver, Bad Lieutenant, Mean Streets, and The Last Temptation of Christ. He's a, he's a big player. He's a hell of an actor, this guy. Yeah. One, of, one of my favorite, yeah, well, one of my favorite Tarantino guys, you know, um, he, that early, the early stage of Tarantino's career is not totally what it is without Herbie Keitel, right? He's, he's just a massive component. Yeah, for sure. Especially, I think, He's really good playing a restrained character in this. His characters are usually fucking wild and off the cuff. But in this one, he's very much just a, you know, soft-spoken guy, but it works. He looks like John Hammond in Jurassic Park. It's funny. Yeah, oh, man. Can you imagine Harvey Keitel in Jurassic Park? Oof. Oh, my God. He'd be shooting raptors with a handgun. <laughs> I'm okay. I can't believe he's only had one Oscar nomination in his entire career. I mean, fucking best supporting actor, Reservoir Dogs, like Taxi Driver. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. We want one of the many um, like overlooked guys from that like thrived in the '70s and then it had a resurgence in the '90s. Sucks. Yeah. Most people of like you know the younger generation know him as the uh, the FBI guy in National Treasure. <laughs> that was who wow. I knew him as at the beginning of you know my movie watching experience, and then the more I watched, I'm like, oh, this is a serious motherfucker <laughs> we love harvey here nicholas cage on the other hand 
keep on stealing those artifacts. <laughs> Nearly a hundred episodes in, we still have not done a Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, well, we, yeah, I know. I know. It's hard. It's hard because we were going to try to do a whole Nicolas Cage episode, but there's just far too many movies to watch Yeah. Um, uh, for one episode, right? So we have to do like almost a mini series on him. <laughs> yeah. We'll figure it out. One day the book will give us a cage and it'll be a great day. Yes. <laughs> I've said it many times. The book taketh the book. Or the book giveth, the book taketh away. Yes. Um, Oscar nominee Juliette Lewis plays Kate Fuller, Jacob's daughter. Lewis was nominated for her performance in 1991's Cape Fear. And she's yes. also known for her performance in 1994's Natural Born Killers. Um, Natural Born Killers. What are you guys' uh, verdict on that one? Boo. What about you, Jeff? <laughs> what? Boo? Oh, that movie is fucking fantastic. I, I mean, it's, it, it's got so many, like, I don't know, like it, it, it plays around so much with what you're seeing. Like it just, it's, it feels at times like you're right inside their brains, like how they see the world, how they're experiencing things, their memories of what their life was like you know like you're seeing a movie through these two maniacs eyes right up until the very end and i say what you want about oliver stone i mean i mean i can take him or leave him to be honest but i love natural born killers and i i was exposed to it you know when i was really young so it definitely left an impact on me in that way and i i admire someone who has the balls to just put something like that on screen and like drag you kicking and screaming through it. Not to mention Robert Downey Jr. is fantastic. So, I mean, I, I will, I will, I will say I enjoyed natural born killers quite a bit. Okay. Lots of of awkward boners for Julia Lewis in that movie. Ah. God, no, I've never. She's always looked like a fourteen-year-old girl to me. I could never. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was about that old when I watched it. So <laughs> fair <you>. enough. <laughs> it's Cape Fear that did that to me. Like it's just too innocent in that that I can't see her as anything else but a, like just a little girl. Yeah, are you sure she wasn't nominated for her work in the uh, old school? <laughs> no, <I'm> afraid not. <laughs> when uh, when um, your 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 boy uh, Todd Phillips shows up to the gangbang at the beginning, yeah, that's some incredible work from Juliette Lewis. <laughs> oh, oh man! And round and round we go. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, yeah, Natural Born Killers never did it for me. It just it looks so dirt. It feels so dirty and uncomfortable, and just I don't like any of the characters. I don't like that Oliver Stone just cut Tarantino's script to pieces. And I would love to see Tarantino's Natural Born Killers. Exactly. Yes. But we'll never, you know, unless he writes a novel, we're never going to get that. <sighs> yeah. Not a fan. I've tried a couple times. I just can't get into that movie. Yeah, me too. I, it's like, it, it, I really don't like Dr. Pepper as a soda. I want to like it. That's how <laughs> I feel about Natural Born Killers. I want to like it. I like movies that are rough and, and are, are, are kind of hard to get through, but I, I don't know what it is. I, 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 and I really do after reading that. Yeah. Tarantino was kind of, kind of ripped. Um, yeah, just kind of frustrating. Uh, yeah, and I'm just not an Oliver Stone fan. 
I haven't seen enough films of his to label myself as either a fan or not a fan. So we'll get back to that in the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, continuing on, Ernest Liu plays Scott Fuller, Jacob's son, and this is pretty much the only thing of note he ever did, apart from some bit parts on various TV shows. He's an oddball character. He doesn't really fit in the rest of the film. Like, I don't know why. I think he's just too precious for this world or something. I don't know. And it's weird that the kid never did anything else. I mean, usually people who you know pop up in this kind of stuff tend to get a little bit more noticed or do something else, become a little bit more of a you know, cult actor or something. Maybe it just wasn't his thing. Yeah, I like his shirt, though. Yes. Precinct 13. I forgot about all of I forgot about that entirely. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. You know, even the greats bow their head to someone too. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, always. Especially Tarantino and Rodriguez, right? Oh yeah. Oscar nominee Salma Hayek plays Santanico Pandemonium, sexy vampire queen. Hayek was nominated for her performance in 2002's Frida. And she has also appeared in such films as Desperado, Fools Rush In, Wild Wild West, Spy Kids 3, and recently The Hitman's Bodyguard. And, uh, yeah, I think I've said enough about Salma Hayek. <laughs> Someone else take the floor. <laughs> well, uh, Selma, yeah, go, go ahead, Josh. You're, you, you, you've been with her, uh, her career much longer than us. Well, I will just uh, stick a little recommendation in there uh, to to kind of uh, give you guys a little a little research. She was in a movie, it was like 2015, 2016 or something like that. It was called Everly and it's directed by Joe Lynch. Fan-fucking-tastic movie. And she is like, she's the centerpiece of it. It's a fucking awesome-ass movie. It's balls-to-the-wall action. Uh, yeah, check it out. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. I remember hearing about that movie. It's it's fucking great. Sweet. Sweet. Then we've got Cheech Marin, who plays multiple characters, such as the border guard, the pussy guy, and Carlos. Cheech is known mostly for being one half of the stoner comedy duo Cheech and Chong, alongside Tommy Chong, but he has also been one of Robert Rodriguez's go-to guys. He's in most of his films. And, you know, we love Cheech. Who doesn't love Cheech? <laughs> I mean, I mean, how can you not? He, he's a he's a legend as far as comedy goes. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I watched uh, Up in Smoke with my dad. He was like, "You gotta watch this stuff. It's so funny. These guys are like so funny, man." And you know, I'm like, "Dad, what are you talking? About? You don't know shit." Like, no way. And I watched it and I cried. I was laughing so hard. And at that point, I had never, I'd never smoked weed. So I had no idea about it. It was just funny. It's just genuine, pure comedy. And the fact that he could pull off what he did in this movie with three different roles, no less, three different characters is only a testament to how fantastic of an actor he is. And uh, yeah, he's amazing. Where are we? I think we're parked, man. That's probably that's my favorite line in the in up. <laughs> I like one of one of my favorites from that movie was when the cop was like, "I need to see your license and registration." He's like, "Hey, uh, ain't it on the bumper back there, man?" 
Oh my god. Uh, I love when uh Cheech is trying to come down and Chong hands him these pills. He's like, take these, and he just takes them. He's like, Oh wait, don't take those, man. Oh, you just took the most acid I've ever seen anyone take, man. <laughs> He's like, Am I gonna die? <laughs> I I could recreate that scene. I've seen it so much. <laughs> but we'll be here all night. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> Peach is awesome, and he's the only actor I can think of who gives a full monologue about pussy. I mean, thank you for that, Cheech. That's memorable. Yeah, that one really that that part really sticks in your head, doesn't it? Oh yes. Do you, do you, do you guys like now after you know after you've seen it a few times? Do you find like that stuff to be funny? Or are you just kind of like, ah, you know, there's Cheech. Or are you, like, what is it for you? How does it play? I'm laughing my ass off. Yeah. It's because I, of how I, Cheech plays it. Yeah, I got to be honest. This time around, there was a couple things, and that was one of them where I was like, all right, this is lingering a little too long. He's saying, <laughs> maybe cut four pussies out of the 30. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then you're just then you're just cutting half the menu out. Like, what are you talking about? That's, that's an advertisement. This guy is, <laughs> he is a straight up cutting half the menu. barker. He is a carnival barker out there. Like it's all necessary. That's, all, that's the only thing I was thinking about is he needs to talk about the bearded pussy. Like where's the bearded lady getting representation here? I mean, come on. <laughs> just, just, just real quick. We heard necessary. And bearded pussy in the same sentence right there. <laughs> <laughs> He's the uh, guy. Cheech is the guy to prove just how fucking seedy, nasty, and out of the no like in the middle of nowhere this place is. That you can have just a bearded dude screaming into oblivion about all the pussy that is inside this building. And I mean, I go in there. <laughs> He's 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 a salesman. He's a what, damn good salesman. And what could go wrong? Yeah, what could go wrong? What could possibly you, go wrong? You guys would go into the titty twister. Well, we don't know it's full of vampires. Duh. E- e- even then, come on. <laughs> I mean, most people aren't going in there for the reason Seth Gecko is going in there. Everyone else is going in there for a good time. They're not going there to eat the tacos. <laughs> At least the ones you get on a plate. <laughs> oh God! Fucking hell! We're going into a into a freaky place. Okay. <laughs> Yikes. Well, there's a lot more people in this, but we'll get to them as we move along. Because this, the cast, like the people who just appear in this film, are is unreal. Uh, From Dust Till Dawn has an IMDb score of seven point two, Rotten Tomatoes score of sixty three percent. It was a moderate success, grossing a little under $60 million on a budget of $19 million. And let's get into the plot. So we open at Benny's World of Liquor with Texas Sheriff Earl McGraw <laughs> pulling up to the liquor store. First time we saw Earl McGraw, Michael Parks, who will pop up again in Kill Bill Volume 1 and Planet Terror, despite getting shot to death in this movie. <laughs> who cares? It's his twin brother. But, uh, yeah, love Michael Parks. Dude was awesome. Rest in peace. And he's talking to the shopkeeper, played by John Hawks, another indie film star who pops up in a lot of stuff. And uh, they're just talking, you know, kind of shooting the shit about there was a bank robbery. Uh, don't know if you heard about that. He's like, oh, yeah. And he goes to 
the bathroom and we see Seth Gecko come up with a hostage and talk to the shopkeeper. Like, why is he still here? You let him use the bathroom. That's weird. It's such a great setup. It's just like immediately, you know, this guy's like, these fuckers mean business. We know what they did. They robbed a bank. We know that they are willing to kill. Boom, right there. That's all we need to know about these guys. It's, it's brilliant. And you're t- it's tense as hell because you know they will kill both of them. <laughs> Especially with Richie making shit up about he's seeing signals. <laughs> oh, yeah. especially, especially if you've seen Tarantino's work prior to this, right? You're already, you're like, oh, I'm in the hands of, you know, this, this wild writer and uh, this director who's uh, willing to get on board with it. So yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Well, at the time, from Tarantino, we'd only seen Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. And yeah. Rodriguez, we'd only seen El Mariachi and Desperado. Yeah. So we weren't, I don't think people were entirely sure what to expect here. There wasn't a, like, there wasn't really a, you know, a, uh, it wasn't set in stone yet. Who these okay, guys okay. Yeah, yeah, let me rephrase that. Okay, so I'm 25. I wasn't born when uh, those first two came out. So if I'm watching all of these re-watching them right going back in time watching them and you see Pulp Fiction and you know the cultural impact it has and you see Reservoir Dogs I think when you sit down and watch for me anyway when I was like 15 and I sat down and watched From Dusk Till Dawn when we're in the gas station I was like this is Tarantino very much so <laughs> oh yes looking back now for sure and uh it's yeah they tell the shopkeeper like you know get rid of him now or uh, he says, like, your best better get a whole lot fucking better or you're going to feel a hell of a lot fucking worse. <laughs> His threats are so good. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I mean, that whole speech to, to Pete is, like, full of just these one-liners in there. You know, it's like, I'm going to make this place look like the fucking wild bunch. Boom. <laughs> Any film nerd that puts an image in your head, you're like, oh. Yeah. He is going to yeah. shoot this motherfucker like Swiss cheese. Um, then when he talks about turning it into Benny's world of blood, you're just like, oh my God, like that snappy Tarantino dialogue is in there. And I would even argue that you use that opening sequence right up until they blow up the liquor store as like, this is how you do exposition in a movie. And you do it using every tool you have as a filmmaker, the camera, the dialogue, the you know the pacing like it just everything is so lean and mean and just cuts all the fat out and gets right to the the meat of what's going on perfect tarantino is fucking brilliant at that he his movies most of the time anyway have zero fat on them he knows exactly what he wants to say he knows when he wants to say it he knows how he wants to say it and yeah from dust till dawn's a perfect example of that and rodriguez's camera work just adds to that fire Yes, it's 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 all muscle. Yeah. <laughs> it's all flexed muscle. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so Richie walks up behind the behind Earl McGraw, shoots him in the head. Seth's like, "What the fuck?" He's like, "He was signaling him. He said, help me.'" <laughs> Seth's like, "Fuck no, he didn't." And uh, the shopkeeper calls Richie a liar, and Richie shoots him. He shoots him in the shoulder, though. He, uh, while under the uh, the counter, gets to the safe, grabs a gun, starts unloading on Seth and Richie, missing every fucking shot. But well, until, before he, uh, after he shot Richie in the hand, 
love that in the hand. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they end up, it's so, it's such a brutal fucking opening. They, uh, they shoot all the liquor bottles over the, uh, the shopkeep, douse them in alcohol, and then Seth throws toilet paper lit on fire at him and just burns him, dead, burns him to death. <laughs> so, again, this is like a brilliant way that they characterize these two. There's a whole bunch of shit that just popped on. These two are using shorthand to, you know, accomplish what their goal is going to be. And, of course, every gas station is going to have toilet paper and lighter fluid next to each other. You know, and like, and it just does these little things that you, you think, you, you snicker at. Because you're like, he just fucking hits the shelf. And, of course, first time it's going to fall right in his hand. You know, like all of these things. And that whole scene is like punctuated for me as Pete is on fire and dies and he falls on the popcorn and he's popping popcorn while he's fucking looking at him. And I just, every time I see it, I fucking die laughing. Dude, right so, when he gets up from behind the counter completely on fire and starts shooting at them. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And they're not even phased. They're just like, oh, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, in that scene, you also get that Richie is nuts. He's insane. He's unstable. And Seth is, you know, he's the one in charge here. He's the older brother, the one who calls the shots, and he keeps Richie in check. So you got, you know, everything you need to know about these guys right here. And as they drive away, we get the opening credits tuned to Dark Knight by the Blasters, one of my favorite songs because of this movie. It's just, it's so perfect. They're driving into the sunset after blowing up this gas station and killing two more people. And they've got a hostage in the trunk. And they're just talking about, like, we got to get off the road. I love that song. The soundtrack in this movie is fucking awesome. Oh, incredible. It, it, it totally, you know, you can say this over and over. It totally sets the tempo. Without a doubt. For the first movie that is, that is unfolding before us. Yeah. <laughs> our weird double feature we kind of get here (laughs) seth and gecko seth and richie versus the vampires uh so they are they get to a uh motel and they start discussing their plan to flee to mexico and meet seth's contact carlos and uh richie says he should negotiate for a better deal and seth's like you want to stay in El Rey, you got to pay the toll. You got to pay this toll. That's, you know, that's, uh, what does he say? That's scripture. Scripture. <laughs> so it is written. So shall it be done. Yeah, Seth is so fucking cool. <laughs> he really is. I wish I was that witty. God damn. And uh, seems well, it, it's probably exhausting. <laughs> um, well, Seth is going to go get, he's going to go make a call with Carlos, work out all the deets. Richie's going to watch the hostage. And Seth, you know, tells Richie, like, you know, what? Be cool. (laughs) Seth Seth takes off, is gone for a while. Richie creepily asks her if she wants to come in and watch TV with him. We know something terrible is going to happen to this woman. It, from the beginning, we're like, she's not making it out of this alive. And he's going to do something bad. <laughs> and we're, lo and behold, he fucking rapes and murders her while Seth's gone. And Seth 
is freaked out by this. We get a glimpse into his moral code where he's, you know, he says, you know, I'm a professional thief. I don't kill people unless I have to, and I don't fucking rape women. What is wrong with you? I don't know why, but I love that little bit of his character. Like he scolds Richie for this. Well, again, it shows just how different these two are. And, you know, I mean, I, I fully believe Seth, when he tells that woman, if you do what we say and you listen to me, you will get out of this alive. The only thing he's not telling her is, but my brother's probably going to kill you. And because the whole time he's telling her the rules that will keep her alive, fucking Richie is eyeballing her like a piece of meat. And he, it's just, it's so, and it's just so well done the way the, the, the shot is composed. Like there's just so much about this that like, as a student of film, you just get a boner. You're just like watching this. You're like, oh my God, this is so well done. This is so great. But yeah, there are stark differences between what, how Seth is going to accomplish this mission and knowing that he also has to keep Richie in check the entire time, which is going to make this, which is going to make or break whether or not they succeed. Yeah. Well, he tells it like straight up, like, is it me? Am I the reason you're like this? Like he doesn't know how to explain this. And even when he walks in with the, with the bag of big kahuna burgers, he is looking around. He's like, where's the hostage? And Richie nonchalantly just like, she's in there. Like nothing happened. And I love the line where he says, when you left, she became a completely different person. I'm like, fuck you, dude. You became a completely different person. Don't try and blame this on her, you piece of shit. <laughs> I love the way they cut between the brief flashes of the body and the blood, the carnage, we just get yeah. an unsettling tone here from that. And it, it's, it's just, it's a great way to set up how, you know, what we're going to have to look forward to with Richie, <laughs> like the kind of shit we're going to have to deal with with this guy. Well, I think, I think the way it's done where it's like, it's so quick. Cause I remember at one point when I was trying to like study this movie, um, I actually like paused on those on those brief frames just to kind of like just to kind of see like where they were showing you know because Robert Rodriguez was using a lot of jump cuts in this movie too so you know he's moving across this woman's body as he's doing these quick cuts and then instead of like lingering on it he shows you that she's all the way in the background and you're forced to like try and like look as Seth and Richie are arguing, it's just, it's just so well done. I'm going to say that so many times during this, but yeah. For sure, man. Uh, <laughs> a, now that Seth realizes, you know, they need new hostages to get into Mexico, they run into Pastor Jacob Fuller and his two kids, Kate and Scott. And, Jacob has recently lost his faith after his wife died in a car accident. And uh, weirdly, this movie is like a rediscovery of faith for him. It's such a strange. They, the, the Gecko brothers kidnap this family, hijack their RV, and force them to drive to Mexico. And along the way, Seth tries to talk to Jacob, kind of get to know him a little bit. And Jacob answers his questions, but also, you know, reservedly, like, I love that when he says, that's about as friendly as I'm going to get with you. And Seth's like, all right, let's cut the getting to know you chit chat. 
like I don't give a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about your kids. All I give a fuck about is me, my brother, and that money. Clooney and Keitel going at it is fucking awesome. It's just it's such a two powerhouses just back and forth thing. It's I love that. I love when we get to see that in films. Oh. Um, they get stopped at customs. Uh, but prior to this, Richie has a fucking full-on obsession with Kate. He is he thought he heard her say something in the room. That is the fact that we had to, like that she's he heard her say that and like he is convinced he heard her say that like he thinks that really happened like how fucking nuts is this guy like seriously on what level i mean not not only is he a full-on rapist he's completely like fucking schizophrenic this dude's well i think i think it's just i think it's showing how he justifies his actions because, you know, if, if we would have seen the interaction between him and the bank teller in the hotel, I'm sure he would have imagined her saying all kinds of shit, you know? Like, of course, watching cartoons is going to make you horny. Who doesn't get, you know? Like, just the way he has, to, he justifies his despicable urges that he has. It just makes you hate him that much more. And you're just like, how much more of that can you take? Like, what is it gonna? What what is gonna happen to this guy? Because he can't make it all the way through the end of this. He just can't. <laughs> but I, I even more so than that, I find the dialogue he has with Kate on the RV, like in the RV, even more disturbing. When he tells her, like, "Did you really mean that? Because if you did, I'll do it." And she's yeah. Like, what? What did I say? And he's like, "Well, you know, you know what you said." <sighs> God, <laughs> it's. Makes my fucking skin crawl. <laughs> and they get to border patrol and uh, Seth and Richie hide in the bathroom with Kate and Jacob fumbles his fucking way through flying to the border patrol and they check the RV and Richie starts, <laughs> Seth calls him a fuck up and Richie's like, I'm not a fuck up. Was I a fuck up when I broke you out of fucking jail? And he just hits him with the gun. <laughs> Knocks his ass out. Seth can improvise. I love it. And uh, Cheech opens the bathroom door and sees Kate on the on the toilet and just keeps staring at her. Everyone's such a fucking creep in this movie. <laughs> and they get through. They get through the border. They go to Mexico. They did it. And uh, Seth wakes up. Richie says he passed out. He doesn't know what happened. He just passed out. <laughs> oh. Seth declares, Probably you know, not the first time. <laughs> oh no. He's had to he's had to knock Richie out a few times in their lives. Ugh. So now that they're over the border, they're going to get to this place called the Titty Twister where they're going to drop off. They're going to hang out, they're going to wait till Carlos shows up and then he Seth's going to let Jacob and his family go free. Everything's hunky-dory. Jacob still and you know the kids still think Seth, you know, Seth and Richie are not going to just let them go. Especially uh, Scott, he's he told Jacob like I saw these guys on the news that like people like this never let anyone go, and it's kind of right. Do you think that Seth is really going to let them go? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, he 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 all but proves that when he just lets Kate go, even though it's, yeah, what they just went through. But I I fully believe that he would have he would have let him go. I hope so. I want to I want to think that. 
but I don't know with these people because he sets a good, you know, he thinks on his feet. He's a good liar. He's a good thief. I feel like, you know, no witnesses works into his plan, but again, you're right. He does let Kate go in the end. So I guess we'll never know if they hadn't met these fucking vampires, what would have gone down. And uh, yeah, we our intro to the titty twister is like this fucking like Sodom in the middle of the Mexican desert. It's this ridiculous over the top fire shooting out just crazy shit. And of course, you know, you got Cheech coming out and talking about all the pussy that's available here. We got all kinds. It's so fucking weird. The menu. The menu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, okay. <laughs> but, uh, okay. So here, here's where I'll, I'll, I'll tell my little story. Okay. So I had, I had just seen that, uh, over the weekend and <laughs> when I came in to school this teacher of mine who was like she was the volleyball coach she was also a very uh, conservative Christian woman um, I don't think I'd ever heard her like get angry at anybody ever you know just one of these super nice people and she's like I was just at the movies and I I saw this movie. I went to go see this movie from dusk till dawn. And like, I perked up. Normally I wasn't paying attention. She said that. And I like looked up. I was waiting for it. She said, I have never walked out of a movie before. But they were saying some disgusting things. And I've like put my hand up. I was like, I know what you're talking about. And she looked at me and she was like, how did you see it? My mom let me watch it. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the back just laughing and laughing and some of the guys were like what is she talking about what is she talking about I'll tell you guys at lunch don't worry <laughs> so so put off by the movie at that point nothing else to that point was gross or you know any indication about what kind of movie she was going to see the whole creepy Quentin Tarantino vibe that's fine that's just fine but dropping pussy bombs. That's the, that's it for me. I gotta check out. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Like thirty pussy bombs. I mean, I'd do the quote, but I just <laughs> I wouldn't feel right oh. afterward. <laughs> it cracked me up every time. I almost I almost did it in uh, drama class in high school. I almost did it. Almost. Oh. But <laughs> instead, I did. Jules, uh, fucking uh, Ezekiel, fucking passage, <laughs> and I told my I told my drama teacher I was, like, was going to do the pussy speech from from dusk till dawn, and she was like, "I've never seen that one. Is it good?" I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. it's wow. a heater." <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. That would have been awesome. But Jules' speech, good second second yeah yeah this is the kind of movie that like you know I, you said it wasn't for everyone but i feel like the films we cover on this podcast are you know the little guys the weird ones the rejects the films that you know freak out normal people and i love talking about these kinds of movies that's why we're doing this podcast because these movies are the fucking best and that somebody has the balls to make a film like this blows my mind I mean, the term filmgasm is, it comes from films like this that are just so fucking wild that they just, you know, blow your mind. 
This is this film is a perfect representation of the fucking podcast itself. It's amazing. <laughs> oh. So Seth fucking clocks the pussy guy. <laughs> Just straight up clocks him, and then Richie kicks him in the ribs. Yeah, I would have done the same thing. <laughs> uh, they go in there, and there's naked chicks dr- dancing around everywhere. There's a band, uh, local band Tito and Tarantula. Awesome. That Rodriguez found. Danny Trejo's the bartender. He says that, you know, you're not welcome here. We only serve truck drivers and bikers. And Seth's going to fuck shit up. And Jacob comes to his rescue and says, like, well, I drive an RV out there and you did class two license. I feel like no bartender would be like that much of a, you know, checking the fine print. Like, is, is it, does it work? Is it in the bylaws? He would just say, get the fuck out. But I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but we need, we need the movie. So, yeah. Well, I think, I think, I think Jacob just calls his bluff and he looks at the license. He's like, all right. Cause I mean, it, it all works for what's about to happen you know it's like i told you guys to get the fuck out you're a trucker all right you guys can stay and it just it it's 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 smooth real smooth seth asks him you got food here he says like best best in mexico and seth's like i doubt that <laughs> send a waitress over Oh, we forgot that. Oh, I wanted to bring up my favorite line in this movie. Or, no, my second favorite line. My, my favorite line's at the end. My second favorite line is when Seth is talking to the, the hostage in the hotel room. And he says, don't ever run, because I've got six little friends, and they can all run faster than you can. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. That's so corny, but it works. Because of yeah. corny. His delivery. Well, anyway, back to our regularly scheduled program. Um, they have a few drinks Scott is loving this place he's just looking around like this is awesome completely forgetting he's a hostage <laughs> Richie says like hey man just when, if you want to when you want a lap dance just let me know it's on me <laughs> there's this weird bonding going on among everybody it's it's so strange but you know fuck it I'll take it I mean I mean they made it you know at that point, their their whole mission is done. They got to the rendezvous point. They just got to sit it all out and wait for this whole thing to blow over. Yep. Oh, and uh, <laughs> some of the clientele we get a look at, we see uh, Sex Machine, played by Mr. Tom Savini, the king of horror makeup effects. He's got the fucking dick gun that's popped up in a lot of Rodriguez films. Well, you know who he's taking the beer from. Right? Yeah, it's Nick Taro, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, yeah man. <laughs> yeah, and those two have been working together for a long fucking time. Um, back in like Dawn of the Dead, or Day of the Dead, rather, um, was when Nick Taro was like really getting in there and, you know, making a name for himself. So seeing those two together is, is really great. Tom Savini hammed it up to perfection in this movie. I love his random film appearances. I love when he shows up in a movie. It's just, it's always so entertaining. I got to see him talk too at a screening of um, effects in, um, in Austin at the, uh, at the draft house Ritz. It was a weird movie about, have, you, have either of you seen effects? I yeah. have not. 
right? <laughs> I knew Josh was going to say, yeah. Uh, it's basically a movie about a, guy, about a group of people who are filming a horror movie and it ends up being a snuff film. Or maybe not. It's a, it's a strange film. But uh, Tom Savini was there and the director was there and uh, a third guy, I don't remember, but uh, got to see him talk. My uncle asked him if it was the, uh, if the carpet in effects was the same carpet they used in a scene in Dawn of the Dead. And Savini was like, I don't know, but that's a great question. (laughs) Only my uncle would ask about the fucking carpet in a horror film. (laughs) (laughs) As long as he's not asking them if it matches the drapes, you should be okay. (laughs) Oh, God, I don't want to hear Savini's answer to that question. And the other guy we've got is Fred Williamson, who plays Frost. Fred Williamson, classic black exploitation actor from the seventies, so he's a fucking badass. So it's awesome to see him take on some vampires. God damn! <laughs> so they're having some drinks. Seth is steaming. He wants to go kick that the guy's ass who put a put his hand on him, and Jacob calms him down. He's like, you told us to be cool. That includes you. Be cool. You did it. You're in Mexico. You won. And Seth's like, yeah, fucking all right, fine, I won. And that's when Danny Trejo gets up on the stage and introduces Santanico Pandemonium, the uh, headliner. And Tito and Tarantula start playing the song After Dark, which has become a staple on my Halloween albums I make every year. And we get to see Salma Hayek do a sexy dance with a snake. And the whole damn uh, party stops for her. And she walks right up to Seth. I mean, to uh, Richie, pours tequila down her leg and lets him suck it off her toe. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's Tarantino's wet dream come to life. And, uh, yeah, she's – I don't uh, I don't remember the situation, how Richie gets stabbed in the hand. <laughs> so it's right after her dance. She yeah. is watching the door in Cheech gets the that's right and yeah. danny to come with him they confront him yeah and then you know fucking shit pops off and danny Trejo stabs his hand okay and that's where you get and then that's where everything turns because he takes the knife out and he stabs it on the table and then they do that rack focus where it pulls back and harvey Keitel's looking at the knife and it's boom wait is that green blood? What the fuck? And then the fucking everything just flips on its head and it's fucking party time. Oh, hell yeah. Santanico's staring at Richie's hand and you just see the bloodlust in her eyes. And everything just goes to hell really fucking fast. She jumps on Richie, starts, you know, bites him on the neck, rips his jugular open, and he dies in Seth's arms. And Seth is like, you know. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to process this. So he his uh, way of grieving is he just shoots every fucking thing he can find, and that's when everybody, you know, the people of the uh, titty twister turn into vampires and start eating all the all the truckers. <laughs> it's like what the fuck? It's out of absolutely nowhere. There is no buildup, no mention of vampires or anything supernatural until right now, and it works. It shouldn't work at all. It should be ridiculous, but I don't know how he did it. I don't know how they both did it, but it it works. 
cocaine. Well, I, think, I think why it works is because it is so out of left field. Like, you're not expecting it. And everything up until that point has been so serious and so straightforward. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, wait, what the fuck? Like, because you, you have been sucked in with these people and are following them so intently that when it happens, it surprises you the same time it surprises them. So you're right there with them in this whole fucking melee that's going on. And that's why I think it works so well is because you've been held so close to Seth and Jacob and his family that when it happens to them, it happens to us too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The commitment. Yeah. We're as out of the blue as they are. Like we, you know, they're not expecting it. We're not expecting it. We're along for the ride with them. I like that. That's perfect. That, that clears up a question I've had for many years. <laughs> oh, um, so Seth shoots Satanico or Santanico. All the the bouncer and the bartenders start, you know, attacking everybody. Seth and the family are trying to fight them back, and uh, the vampire band the band turns into vampires and are playing fucking like flesh instruments. It's so weird. They're playing like Mexican surfer music on body parts. It's it's so fucking funny, but like that's like where this movie totally embraces the batshit crazy aspects of it and just runs with it. I mean, there's that, there's the sight gag where one of the vampires gets killed on the pool table and its eyeballs roll out and hit the corner pockets. Like just all of this goofy shit just starts happening left and right. And you're just, you're so swept up in it that you're just like, what the fuck? It just keeps coming, keeps coming. And right up until the first wave is done and like that, like the gag where uh, the fucking gorilla dude comes at Fred fucking Williamson and he like punches his chest and he pulls out his heart and it's still beating. <laughs> and the guy's like looking at him and he fucking grabs a pencil and he fucking stabs it and he finally dies. And you're just like, of course you stabbed a heart. They die. Duh. Just all of these little gags throughout that whole sequence, right at the very end, where he goes, "You're supposed to burn up, aren't they?" <laughs> it works. It works, <laughs> it works so well. Like it's just, it's playing on all these little tropes the whole time. Because Danny Trejo got stabbed with a knife repeatedly, he didn't die because he didn't get stabbed with wood with a wooden stake. Yep, I love how this film follows the rules. It's it's cool. Because if you, I love that Rodriguez went that hard. Because if you're going to do this, if you're going to turn your hostage crime drama into a vampire movie halfway through, you need to go hard or it's not going to work. And he went fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, and, and just played by the simple rules. Didn't go too crazy into like garlic and whatever. It's just huh. wooden stake through the heart, fucking sunlight and holy water. Those are your weapons. Yep. And after they kill the first wave, they hear a swarm of bats outside. So they realize they're not getting out of here anytime soon. And Seth starts reloading his gun and tells them, like, so obviously we're dealing with vampires. And I don't want to hear any shit about I don't believe in vampires because I don't believe in vampires, but I believe in my own two fucking eyes. So can we all agree that what we're dealing with here is vampires? 
And what I just saw was fucking vampires. Like, so good. So good. And everyone's like, yep, okay. And he says to Jacob, like, this man right here is our greatest weapon. This is a man of God. Now, are you going to find your faith? Like, are you a mean motherfucking man of God? And he's like, I'm a mean man of God. (laughs) And they start, you know, cleaning house, staking the bodies, and Sex Machine gets bit, but he doesn't tell anybody. And he starts to turn very slowly. I love his hand just morphs and he feels an incisor elongate. And he's like, Oh shit. (laughs) Oh, and, uh, he jumps on frost on Fred Williamson and bites him on the neck. And he turns like immediately (laughs) Fred Williamson. And he throws sex machine through a window, which opens the swarm of bats to come in and start attacking everything. Seth and the kids, run and hide in the back of the bar after Jacob gets bit in the arm. And uh, I love when Jacob comes out from behind the bar with an iron bar and a shotgun as a cross. Oh my God. (laughs) That's pure vampire movie fucking awesomeness. (laughs) He's just walking through the crowd, holding his shotgun cross, shooting and like cocking it and like, it's so awesome. <laughs> he makes his way back to the room where the where Seth and the kids are hiding. Uh, prior to this, Richie came back to life. And Seth was going to shoot Sex Machine for trying to kill him, but then held him down and took care of Richie. Damn shame. This is the peace I couldn't give you in life. Oh. Despite all his many, 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 many flaws. Seth loved his brother. There's something yeah. poignant about that. Yeah, and that's where you get that that moment where like Seth is now gone completely 180 from being the villain in the movie to being the hero. He is the fucking one to get everybody out alive. If you're going to do it, Seth is going to get you there. And it took his brother being bitten and turned into a vampire in order for him to be like, oh, fuck. I'm really in my sh- in the shit now. <laughs> yeah. Jacob gets to the back room and they let him in, but they realize he's bit and they realize, you know, they don't have a lot of time here. So he blesses their water. They go through the boxes of all the shit that these vampires have stolen from truckers over the years. And they find like water guns and a fucking crossbow. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's awesome. And uh, is my favorite. <laughs> yes. Goddamn, yeah. <laughs> like, it's so stupid, but it works. <laughs> Shake weight. I mean, if you're, if you're going to do it, you're going to fucking do it right. Might as well. Oh, God. Uh, I love that Juliet Lewis is just automatically like an expert shot with the crossbow. Yeah, what? What the hell is that all about? <laughs> Maybe she takes archery back home. I don't know. <laughs> but Jacob blessing the water works because they go through the crowd and they start picking off the vampires. And then Jacob turns and his son blows him away. Ah, sad. But the kid gets ripped to, ripped to shreds. That was brutal. 
Scott gets just like. <laughs> no, I was gonna say I love that um, he uh, he has the, uh, the the condoms that are filled with holy water, and they're like fucking hand grenades when they go off on the vampire. <laughs> like again, not afraid to just go for broke in in this. Do it you know, like. Like this movie started with a cop getting his brains blown out. How much more violent are you gonna get? Well, you haven't seen anything yet. You know that the ceiling is very high for that, and it just—I love that it just doesn't let up. It just keeps going, keeps going. Hell yeah! And when Scott gets ripped, like just bitten to to shreds, like they're not even—I don't even think they're eating him. They're just tearing him apart, and. I think uh, Kate blows him up, and uh, it's weird because I I hate to toot my own horn, but I have a scene in my third book, which is also about vampires, that is very close to that. I have a character that gets just how like falls into a gang of vampires and they just rip him apart, and he's screaming like "Choke on it, you motherfuckers!" and shit like that. And it reminded me very much of that, and I was very happy. Hell <laughs> yeah. That also is very uh, reminiscent of uh, Rhodes in Day of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that one, yeah. <laughs> and he says that in those exact words. Choke on him! Oh, yeah. Choke on him! Yeah, good shit. Such a satisfying death, that motherfucker. I can't wait till we do Day of the Dead. <laughs> Man, dude, I could talk about those movies all day long. So good. One day. Awesome. Uh, so soon it's just Seth and Kate and the vampires are getting plentiful. And but they realize that the sun has risen and they start shooting holes in the sun. I love when Kate tries to she asks Seth, like, should I save a couple bullets for us? And Seth's like, fuck no, shoot it at anything that's coming at us. And he's like, I'm not going out like that. <laughs> they start shooting holes in the walls and the vampires get burned up by the sun after Carlos and his guys show up and kick the door open. <laughs> and, the, and the sun hits the disco ball. Yes! Awesome! <laughs> God, why would a vampire bar like this have a fucking disco ball? You'd think why that they would not prep for that. <laughs> I love... My favorite part of this movie is Seth's reaction to Carlos. Like, did you fucking pick this place? Have you ever been here before? <laughs> no, nah, man. I drove by it a couple times. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. This place is rowdy. It's open till dawn. You said you wanted to meet in the morning, so here. Why not? It's out of yeah. it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Seth's like, well, because of that, my brother's dead. Her fucking family is dead. And that's your fault. And he's like, well, was it Psychos or what? And then Seth says my all-time favorite line of this movie. He's like, did it look like Psychos? They were vampires. Psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them. I don't give a fuck how crazy they are. <laughs> God damn. So perfect. And in return of, you know, for their pain and suffering, Carlos gives him like an extra 5% off the, his cut of staying in El Rey. Five percent, and I love that Seth's still haggling after all this shit. 
Hey man, I would have been I would have been renegotiating real fucking hard. Dude, <laughs> you have no fucking idea the night I've had. <laughs> oh god. So Kate uh he get, they're going through the money that Seth has, the robbery money, and he gives Kate a few thousand dollars and says, you know, go home. And she's like, You need some company? He's like <laughs> I may be a, what did he say? I'm a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. So I don't know what the hell she's going to do now. He leaves her in fucking Mexico. (laughs) She, uh, Carlos and Seth drive off into the sunset towards El Rey. Seth got away and Kate's left to her own devices. And uh, the music starts playing again. Dark Night by the Blasters as we pan out to see that the titty twister is the top of a gigantic Aztec pyramid. (laughs) With a graveyard of fucking 18 wheelers in there. Oh yeah. (laughs) Fucking awesome. It's it's, it's so good. I love when uh, Carlos says that they've got, he's asking if Seth wants a beer and he says, I've got Mexican and, and domestic. Yeah. So basically, he's got Mexican beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. So here are some filmgasm facts for you. Number one, Salma Hayek has a real fear of snakes and had always refused to be near them. So when she read the script, she knew her phobia was going to prevent her from taking this part. And Robert Rodriguez conned her into thinking that Madonna was interested. So Hayek spent two months with therapists to overcome her fear of snakes. So glad that worked out. I cannot see Madonna yeah. doing that at all. No, 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 not believable at all. She's too white to be in Mexico. No, you need a Latin actress for that part. And Salma Hayek killed it. It was brief, but she killed it. She also killed Richie. Number two, in the screenplay, Santanico Pandemonium was supposed to dance to a recording of Down in Mexico by the Coasters. In the film, Rodriguez used After Dark by Tito and Tarantula, who played the house band, and Quentin Tarantino reused his idea of a dance to Down in Mexico in Death Proof, the lap dance that Butterfly gives Stuntman Mike. Awesome. Glad he got to use that. Tarantino doesn't let any idea go to waste. And number three, there was a special makeup effect in which one of these stripper vampires has her stomach open into a large mouth. She shoves a bar attendant's head into the large mouth and bites it off. The effect was so graphic that Quentin Tarantino didn't even want to see it. The scene can be accessed in the deleted scenes section on the special edition DVD. Have either of you seen that scene? Yes, it's fucking terrifying. That's like one of the grossest, most disgusting vampires I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Well, for Tarantino to be like, nope, don't want to see that. There's got to be some dark shit. Oh, I'm in. I got to check out the bonus features. I don't check out bonus features that often. I really got to start doing that. Um, there were two sequels and a TV series that came out of this movie. First, there was 1999's From Dust Till Dawn 2, Texas Blood Money, which sees a group of career criminals trying to pull off a bank heist in Mexico only to come face-to-face with the undead. It stars Robert Patrick, Raymond Cruz, Danny Trejo, and Bruce Campbell, among others. IMDb score, 4.1. Rotten Tomatoes score, 9%. Uh, 
the From Dust Till Dawn sequels are pretty reviled. Uh, have either of you seen them? They're totally unnecessary. Ah. I think they, well, I just think they tried to make something out of these movies where the, the like, the first movie is just a great idea on its own. You can't, you can't replicate that. Yeah. Because everything that you do after that, you already know vampires are going to be in it. So it's like, you can't be, you can't be smart about it. You can't be like, you know, I'm trying to hide this from, you know, everybody knows if you're watching these movies, vampires are going to be in these fucking things. I just didn't, I just didn't like it. It's tired. You know, by that time you're like, oh, criminals and vampires. Come on guys, do something else. And I think the third one tried to like go back in time or some shit. And you're just like, oh God. Yeah. Part three was from uh, 2000s from Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter, which is a prequel. takes place 100 years prior to the first movie and tells the story of how Santanico Pandemonium became a vampire. Cool idea. Apparently not very well executed. It stars Michael Parks, Ara Celli, Rebecca Gayhart, Tamara Morrison, and Danny Trejo, among others. IMDb score 4.8. Rotten Tomatoes, 22%. Uh I'll watch them just for kicks, but no, I'm not going to expect much. Yeah, don't. And then finally, in 2014, Rodriguez adapted the film to series for his El Rey Network. From Dust Till Dawn, the series retells the first film as a long-form series with DJ Katrona and Zane Holtz playing Seth and Richard Gecko. The series went for three seasons before ending in 2016. It was met with mixed reviews. The series is available to stream on Netflix in its entirety if you want to check it out. The film is currently on HBO Max. Uh, yeah, I heard th- when I heard about they were making a TV show out of this, I thought, that sounds neat but unnecessary, and I guess that's pretty much what everybody else thought. <laughs> yeah, I tried to watch the first season, and it, it just didn't live up to it. And the fact that they were you know, essentially stretching the movie the first movie into a into a series it just it just went places that i don't think it needed to go to and ultimately for me at least it was pretty forgettable i didn't even want to continue because i don't know what they were going to try bring to this idea that's that was new yeah i didn't um Back when I saw Rodriguez talk, uh, he was just starting to launch his El Rey network, so he was plugging that big time. Uh, I haven't watched anything on the El Rey network. I know he's turned like a lot of his movies into TV shows on that. He had like an El Mariachi show. I think he was trying to do a Spy Kids like animated show. I don't know. I just I think some original programming would have been a little nice. I don't know if he still got the El Rey network. I think he does. Um. Uh, Personally, I give From Dust Till Dawn an eight. It's a badass vampire flick, memorable characters, and a great story. What about you guys? Yeah, eight for me as well. Uh, I am, uh, I guess, of the rare audience who enjoys the first half of the movie quite a bit more than the second half, but I think it's, you know, it's kind of like a Beatles situation. It takes John Lennon and Paul McCartney, right, to make the full thing. So, <laughs> so, so I, I do enjoy the whole thing. I just, um, I wish there was more of the, um, the crime aspect. Fair enough. I know. Yeah, that's 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 rare. I know. 
Uh, well, for me, it's solid nine. I think the fact that it totally embraces what it's doing and it's not trying to be anything less than, you know, a smart, fast, lean, mean movie that has a killer twist like fucking M. Night Shyamalan wishes he could put a twist in a movie <laughs> like that. Um, it just, it, it really is, if anybody wants to understand like what an exploitation or a grindhouse movie is, they need to watch this. It's like how you take the, the, the frame of one kind of movie, but then you stick the guts of something else <coughs> in it and you're like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're doing a fucking heist movie with fucking vampires. You know, on the face of it, that makes absolutely no sense. How the hell are you going to work that? But what you get when you fucking put it, smash it together is something that is phenomenal. I think it's definitely um, catching two filmmakers who were on the rise and showing just exactly what their strengths are. And they were playing to their strengths. I mean, the style of it is very much Rodriguez with the editing especially. And then with Tarantino writing the screenplay, he's a very visual screenwriter. So like the trunk shots, that's all Tarantino. Um, that's something he started doing in fucking um, Reservoir Dogs. And it's, it's just a hallmark. And it's both of them, the, 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 the strengths of those two coming together and just making something that shouldn't have succeeded but it's fan fucking tastic, fantastic. Right on, man. I funny you should mention that. Uh, on paper, it sounds like this would never fucking work because that's exactly what John Travolta said when they approached him for the role of Seth Gecko, and he opted instead to do Pulp Fiction. So sometimes things work out exactly the way they're supposed to. Yeah, definitely, definitely. He he definitely made the right decision because I don't. I don't know that I would have liked that that character as much if we had John Travolta doing it. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think I would have liked Vincent Vega as much if it was anybody but Travolta. This is true. <laughs> well, now it's time for the spotlight, where we talk about some of the films we've been watching outside the podcast. Uh, Austin, why don't you start us off? Uh, I'm going to spotlight one film I feel very strongly about that I reviewed recently called My Brother's Wedding. Written and directed by Charles Burnett. Um, I've been trying to, uh, especially this month of June, I've been trying to watch a lot more movies, especially like 70s, 80s, 90s stuff directed by uh, black people. Um, and Charles Burnett, to me, so far in the research I've done, as far as films go, um, you know, I watched uh, Bless Their Little Hearts a couple weeks ago, and then this one. Both, both very devastating movies that are kind of um, doing a total 180 off of the black exploitation era, and instead of showing the kind of negative sides of the um, black culture or things that could be looked at as negative, it shows more authentic and raw, you know, um, stories with families and that sort of thing. And it's usually always focused in, um, uh, you know, Southern California typically Los Angeles. So 
My Brother's Wedding. It's on Criterion Channel right now. Um, I highly suggest it. I think it might be on HBO Max as well. Um, they're doing they're doing all kinds of stuff for the Black Lives Matter movement. So I've been trying to just eat stuff up um, and try to just research and learn and grow. Right on, man. I appreciate that. Uh, Josh, anything you'd like to spotlight? Um, hmm. So I don't know, like for, for me, this last couple of months have been like Friday nights have been uh, my time with uh, Joe Bob on the last drive-in. And, you know, again, you know, name dropping another great Texan. Um, just the way that he he talks about movies and brings these, you know, brings these things in. It's, it, it's always fascinated me. Um, so yeah, I would, I would highly recommend just anything, anything that he's done on the, in that format. Um, you can find his stuff on YouTube from the monster vision days. Um, I think the stuff that he's done now is pretty, it's pretty poignant and wonderful. Um, and the season finale, he got really uh, humble about what happened, you know, like him thinking that he was going to be destined for something else. And the things that he was doing with film and criticism was kind of just, you know, taking up time. But he's come to realize that this, like the character that he created and the way he talks about exploitation movies and all these other lesser genres you know, resonated with a lot of people and it's meant a lot to a lot of people. And he's very humbled about that. And it kind of, you know, that's, an, that's one of the reasons why I love those kinds of movies because they are definitely for, you know, a, a particular kind of crowd. But I also will argue that anybody that watches movies enough would enjoy these kinds of movies because you kind of, you, you start to see them from a different angle and you see them not just as, you know, the the production value or the writing and all that stuff, you, you start to see like the passion that went into it. And for whatever reason, you know, whether it was good or it was just lost for 30 years and nobody's ever seen it, 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 it's, it meant something to somebody at some point. And that was somebody's dream that they got to make. So yeah, I, I would say go check him out. Awesome. That's very passionate about uh joe bob and i appreciate that i've been meaning to check his stuff out you and caleb have both recommended him to me i'm gonna yeah now that i've got a lot of time i'm gonna i think i will i'll check some of his stuff out yeah man go to shutter if you you know like you you guys have a subscription don't you yeah 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 just just go for it um you you won't be disappointed because i mean it's like watching it's like watching a movie with your uncle you know he's always got something to plug it at, at some point a little bit of trivia, a little bit of, you know, some, some jokes, but it's all in, it's all in service of a good time. That's awesome. That's yeah. That sounds right up my alley for sure. Um, I'd like to spotlight two films. Uh, the first one is I saw this on Netflix. I hadn't seen it in years and I thought, what the fuck? And it still holds up. 1997's air force one. Uh, Oh yeah. President Ford. I would, uh, I would vote for him in a heartbeat. But seeing Harrison Ford go toe to toe with Gary Oldman as a Russian terrorist is just too good to pass up. It's such an awesome movie. The, the, the uh, CGI is pretty fucking terrible, but 
it's such an entertaining movie and such a gung-ho like america fuck yeah kind of movie that it's just so much fun and uh directed by wolfgang peterson by the way and uh yeah killer movie check that out currently on netflix the other i didn't think i was gonna spotlight but then we had a cool thing happen uh session nine uh yeah yeah so session nine is a uh horror film that features a group of asbestos workers working out of danvers hospital in massachusetts a real insane asylum that is now condemned and uh haunted as fuck and we see david caruso peter mullen and josh lucas work at this place and are plagued by visions or ghosts or crazy maniac peter mullen it's not all that clear i gave the movie a six it was shared on instagram and josh lucas himself liked it (laughs) (laughs) and that was pretty fucking sweet Yeah, when I saw that notification, I was like, no, this can't be the real Josh Lucas. (laughs) Sure enough, I clicked on there, and you know, he's got whatever, 200,000 followers. I was like, yeah, that's the real, that's the real Josh Lucas, who was just in Ford vs. Ferrari last year. Um, Yeah, pretty cool. We've had random, uh, you know, I know Josh has had some stuff happen on Twitter. We've had random people involved in the film industry just kind of like, yeah, here and there, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, back when we were doing the uh, the Vincent Price episode, one of my Facebook posts got a like from Vincent Price's daughter, uh, which was so fucking cool. unreal. <laughs> That's when you know you're doing something right. Yes, absolutely, yes. So it's neat. It happens very rarely, but we do get the occasional bit of celebrity, you know, insight where somebody sees something we do, and that's awesome. That's just, you know, <laughs> so cool. Yeah, so that is all for the spotlight. Uh, Check out, you know, My Brother's Wedding, Joe Bob, Air Force One. I mean, Session 9 if you want to. (laughs) I didn't think it was that good, personally. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. God knows we did. Next week, Austin and I are going back to Stephen King for a 90s cult classic that I don't think either of us have ever seen before. No. Novelist Thad Beaumont experiences the shock of his life when his pseudonym comes to life and starts killing people close to him. Can Beaumont muster the courage to stop the evil, sadistic George Stark before his own family is killed? Find out next week when we dive into the dark half. Until then, steer clear of vampire titty bars, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Peace. Mm -hmm.